My name is David Jones. I'm thrilled that you are taking the time to listen to uh, something that is much on my heart. I want to give you a little background information about a series that I've entitled How to Be Happy, Though Human. Many years ago, when I was a young associate pastor at a large church in California, one of my most fulfilling and challenging ministries was providing pastoral care in biblical counseling. I preached occasionally, taught regularly, and counseled constantly. And then my job description was expanded. I was asked to take on the responsibility of equipping other staff and lay leaders to counsel. I immediately knew I would need additional training if I was to train others. And providentially at that very time, my wife and I heard about an excellent course that was being offered by Dr. Larry Crabb at his Institute of Biblical Counseling. I thought the main purpose of attending was to help me train others, but God's greater intention was to transform me. The concepts I'd learned had a profound impact on me personally as I began to apply them in my ministry, marriage, and life. As I shared these key concepts one-on-one, it dawned on me that many hurting people who would be too reluctant to come for counseling might be more receptive to just listening to some helpful teaching addressing how best to handle our common issues and hang-ups. That inspired me to take these simply profound concepts and morph them into a profoundly simple series, which I entitled How to Be Happy Though Human, a Biblical Perspective of People and Problems. Over the years, I've taught this series hundreds of times, but what you will be listening to is a recently edited version of the sermon series that I gave in 1992 at Gwinnett Community Church, where I pastored for 20 years, combined with a few clips recorded shortly before the release of this project. This was designed to allow the most complete version of the series that has touched so many lives, including my own. I began the message that day by saying, you don't have to be a genius to recognize that all around us, people are falling apart because relationships are falling apart and relationships are falling apart because people are falling apart. Do you know any people falling apart right now? You probably do. You don't have to go too far or look too long to find somebody whose life is falling apart. Do you know any relationships that are falling apart? Yes. In fact, every relationship, even the best of relationships, tends to unravel at times. And often it's when our most important relationships begin to unravel that we come unglued ourselves. Face it, people are human, and all humans have hang-ups. If you've got a pulse, you've got problems. We need to see where our hang-ups are and how they develop and what we can do about them. I've been sharing these messages now for over 40 years, and I've consistently found them to be relevant. These biblical truths are timeless, timely, and transferable. Like the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Throughout my life, 
I have been blessed to be the recipient of the teaching of many faithful men, and I'm more motivated now than ever to pass on these truths before I pass on. I pray God will be honored and you will be edified as you listen, apply, and pass it on too. That would make this human very happy. to be sharing in these next few weeks can be revolutionary in your life. I was going to share them one Sunday in the church that we were in in California. Just before the class began, a lady came up to me and she said, Dave, I've got to talk to you. Can I talk to you right after class? I said, I'd be glad to talk if you'd like. Well, we went through this message. After the class, a number of people were up front and asking some questions. But then she worked her way through the people that were standing in line, and she got my attention, and she said, I don't have to talk to you after all. And now I wanted to talk to her. I said, why don't you want to talk to me? She said, one hour ago, I wanted to die. But I realized after processing and after hearing and listening to what you were sharing today, I saw how foolish my thinking was. My whole outlook is different and I want to thank you, I don't need that appointment after all. She came the following week, and before class began the second week, she said, can I share something? And she shared it with the whole class. I said, sure. She said, this last week has been the first time that I have been able to sleep without medication since my son died, and that was years ago. Here was a woman who was falling apart because that which was very precious in her life had been taken from her. And there is no doubt about it in our lives and, and in the lives of our family members and neighbors and co-workers, many times lives are shattered, devastated, and falling apart because relationships, for one reason or another, are broken. And many times relationships are broken because people are so desperately trying to get needs met in their own life that relationships cannot fill. So it's a pretty tall order to try to share a message about how to be happy though human. Actually, I'm, I'm interested in something far more than just you or me being happy. But happiness and fulfillment and joy is something that everyone is looking for. So what does it mean being human? And how can we possibly ever wind up truly being happy, genuinely happy? Well, being human, in one sense, it's a privilege. And in another sense, it's a pain. It's a great privilege to be a human being. Would you rather be a rock, a tree, a dog? Sometimes. <laughs> but the truth is that it's a great privilege being human. What is the essence of that great privilege of being human? That is, being human, it means that we, of all of God's creation, we alone are made in the image of God. And that's an incredible privilege to be made in the image of God. There are four characteristics of God, four attributes or characteristics or things that are true about God that are true of every human being. And th these four things that we need to see that make us human and are evidence of the fact that we are made in God's image are these four statements. First, we are personal beings. 
God is a personal God, and when he made us in his image, he made us as personal beings. God is not just energy or force. God is a person. He has personhood. And when he made us, as it says in Genesis 1, it says that God said, let us make man in our image. So the scriptures go on to say that God made man in his image. Male and female made he them. So God made men and women in the image of God, and no other part of God's creation is made in his image. We are personal beings. Second real privilege of being human, being made in the image of God, is that we are rational beings. Now, you may think you're more rational than your partner is, but the fact is every person in the world is a rational being. God gave us that ability to think. Here's the third thing. We are made in the image of God, therefore we are volitional beings. Volitional beings. That's a 50-cent word to mean God gave us a will. God gave us an ability to choose. He gave us a thinker and he gave us a chooser. And we can choose. We can make choices. We're not robots. He has made us in his image. We don't operate simply by instinct. Although some of us sometimes act like we're just animals acting by instinct. The truth is we have chosen behaviors and goals that we have pursued. But we are volitional beings. Here's a fourth thing. And this doesn't summarize everything that's true about us as being made in his image, but it's the fourth thing I'd like to highlight, is that is that we are emotional beings. Some of you say, yeah, amen. I'm living with one that's really emotional. Well, do you pride yourself on the fact you're not emotional? You think, well, I'm more rational and she's more emotional, so I'm more together than she is? Listen, God made us as personal, rational, volitional, emotional beings. And in their proper balance, all four of these aspects are God-given, they are God-honoring, God is this way, personal, rational, volitional, emotional, and he made us in his image to be that way. That's great news. Everything's hunky-dory. If you read the first, first chapter or so in the book of Genesis, everything's hunky-dory in the Garden of Eden because here are Adam and Eve, personal beings in interpersonal relationships with one another and with God, and everything is beautiful and they're rational, and they're volitional, and they're emotional, and they're experiencing life as God intended mankind to experience it. But remember I said it's not only a privilege to be human, it's sometimes a pain to be human. If you go back again to the book of Genesis, and you flipped over to Genesis chapter 3, where you hear the biblical historical account of the fall of man. I guess it's that thing, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up, and man fell. It's like Humpty Dumpty who sat on his wall and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall and now all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Humpty together again. Somebody put on their bumper sticker on a car, Humpty was pushed. <laughs> Trying to relieve Humpty of the responsibility for, for his fall. But the truth is that we've all fallen. Here's the thing, the painful part of being human is this, that though we are still made in the image of God because of sin and all, we now realize we are finite and fallen. Now, we've always been finite. God never had Adam to be infinite. Only God is infinite. When he made Adam and Eve as finite beings, it's not a sin to be finite. It's not a sin not to be omnipresent. It's not a sin not to have all power. We are limited, finite human beings. But what's worse now is we are fallen, finite human beings. And because of our participation in the fall, 
for what we have inherited and what we ourselves have done by choice, we realize that now we're messed up. It's not hunky-dory anymore. It's more like Humpty Dumpty now. And we now realize that we have troubles in all four of these areas. See the implications. Because we are finite and fallen, that means that we are still personal beings, because we're still in God's image, but now we have legitimate personal needs that often go unmet. And we're going to take the balance of our time to identify what those needs are and see how they get met. And in the next installment of this message, we're going to elaborate on the fact that we are still rational beings, but because we are fallen rational beings, we tend to think incorrectly about how to meet our needs. And because we are fallen volitional beings, the truth is this. We often choose sinful or irresponsible goals and behaviors. We've all made some stupid decisions in our life, uh, sometimes accidentally, sometimes willfully. We've all chosen goals and behaviors that are sinful or irresponsible, and we try to slough off responsibility for having made them because we blame everybody else. I got pushed. It wasn't my fault. And therefore, we are just perpetuating our own fallenness and not living up to the fulfillment of what God intended for human beings to live. And fourthly, because we are still emotional beings, but now we are fallen emotional beings, we tend to mishandle our feelings or we allow them to mishandle us. Well, that's the overview. Now let's dig in a little bit closer and see what it means about being personal beings. Well, as personal beings, it is essential that our deepest personal needs are identified and properly satisfied. You may have needs, deep needs in your life, deep longings and cravings and needs, and you may not even be able to put a name or a label on them. You don't even know what they are. You may be looking up the wrong tree or going down the wrong alley to try to find it because you haven't even identified what your real basic needs are. But we need to identify them and then hopefully properly satisfy them because the needs are legitimate. The problem is oftentimes we go to illegitimate ways of trying to get the needs met. What are those needs? The basic need within every human being that persistently craves to be satisfied is a sense of personal worth. That is a need that exists in every human being. I can walk into a room filled with men. I can guarantee you those men have a deep need for personal worth. But I could walk into any room of women and know that no matter how they're dressed, how they look, every one of them have a deep need for personal worth. That doesn't, that's not only true if I walk into a room here in America. I could walk into any room or any village, any place, anywhere in the world. And if they're human, I know that they have deep personal needs. And I also know because they are fallen and finite, I know that for the most part, those deep longings and cravings are unmet. What are those needs? Let's see if we can identify it a little more carefully than just the generic term personal worth. I think that we will recognize this, that gaining the sense of personal worth really requires two kinds of input. And the first of those inputs is security. Security. If you're taking notes, maybe right next to that word security, you might write in the words, I'm loved. I'm loved. Everybody in the world has a deep need to sense that they are loved. Everybody. And it's not sinful to have a need to be loved. 
God built you with a, a, a God-given need for love. As the scriptures say, God himself is love. Now, love isn't God, but God is love. If I didn't need love, I wouldn't need him. He made me with a need for love. Security is a deep need in every heart. What's the second ingredient? It's significance. Significance. Everybody in the world needs to live with a sense of significance. Next to that word, you might just write in the words, I'm having an impact. I'm having an impact. In other words, because of me, something is happening. I'm making a difference. I'm having an impact. Everybody in the world needs to sense that in one way or the other. I believe that since God made us in his image, male and female, every man and every woman has a need for both of these things. But from my brief observations, I've detected and sensed that for most women, if they could only have one of these two, security or significance, if they could only have one, they'd go for security. And most men, I wouldn't say if they could only have one, they'd pick significance, but you look at what most men find their fulfillment in. They find their fulfillment in their job, in their title, and they pour themselves into their work. Why? Because out there in the workplace where the world can see them, they can make their impact and seem to have greater significance. Now that may be foolish thinking, We'll examine that later. But what we realize is this. Primarily for women, the need is security, and men need it too. Primarily for men, the need is significance, though women need that too. And anything that we can do to minister to the security and significance needs of one another is helping people get a taste of what God wants them as human beings to truly experience. I think this is why in Ephesians chapter 5, God commands the husbands to love their wives. Why does he command the husband to love his wife? Because it never occurs to most men how deeply their wives need to be loved. They say, well, I married you. I told you I loved you till I died. I'm still breathing. I love you. You know, take it by faith. No man has ever loved his wife to the degree that that wife has that need to be loved. Why does God command the wife to respect her husband? Because that ministers to his need for significance. Because when a husband feels like he is put down and criticized and not respected in any way, it shatters or hurts that need, that God-given need for significance. Those are needs. Those are real needs that we have. As a matter of fact, those needs are so real and so important that without these needs being met, people show troublesome evidence of personal breakdown. I don't know how long it's been since you've eaten. Some of you, I can hear your stomachs growling. It's been probably at least 20 minutes since you've eaten. Some of you skip breakfast. Some of you, you haven't eaten in, in 14 hours. And you know what? You're doing fine. I mean, you feel a little pain, but you can go longer. But if you went a few days, if you went a few weeks, and I don't know how many they say, how many of the scientists say, how many days you can go without water or without food. But if you didn't have any physical nourishment long enough, you would die. Because you as a physical being would die without nourishment. In the same way, you're a personal being who lives inside that body that has physical needs. There is a person with personal needs. And if you don't have the nourishment of security and significance from somewhere, 
pretty soon you're going to shrivel up and die. And by my observation and that of many others, I would say this. There are a lot of folks that die personally years before they have died physically. They've just shriveled up and died because they have no taste that they are genuinely loved by anyone and they have no sense that their life is counting for anything. And we need it. And they need it. Because of this reason that personal breakdown takes place, without it, from birth to death, people work at pumping up and protecting their sense of personal worth. We will do everything we can from the time we're an infant until the time we die to do various things to try to get people to minister to us security and significance, to reinforce to us that we are loved, that they love us, to reinforce to us that we're doing a good job. One way that you could put it is this, that it's like we go through life with a patch in one hand and a pump in the other, and we go through life going to the other fallen finite human beings in our life, handing our pump to them, saying, pump me up, notice me, like me, laugh at my joke, buy my tape, take notes, all different kinds of ways that people are, in one way or another, saying, I need to know that you love me. I need to know that I'm accomplishing something. Or I need to know that I'm significant. And so we go around with a pump in one hand, handing it to other finite fallen human beings, and we've got a patch in the other hand just in case someone comes up and pops our balloon or punctures our tire. What happens is also many times once someone gives us some sense of security and significance or we accomplish something that gives us that sense, sometimes we'll pop our own balloon. We'll puncture our own tire. Because though we desperately crave it, we don't know what to do with it when we get it. It's important to realize that though that is our tendency, and sometimes it works, at least for a while, we need to recognize this truth, that the sense of worth that most people settle for may be reasonably satisfying. Most likely, it is only temporary. It's only temporary. Have you had someone notice you, applaud you, encourage you, do something that made you really feel secure and significant? How long did it last? Now, it might have lasted just a few moments. It might have lasted a few hours or days or months. It might possibly even last for years. The truth is that it is not only temporary, that sense of worth, but it's also fragile very fragile. If you base your worth on the wrong thing, it's very likely to fall apart on you. Very fragile. You can be the hero in the top of the ninth, and you can be the goat in the bottom of the ninth inning. You can be toasted one moment and roasted the next. And if you're basing your worth on how you're coming across to other people, Man, you're going up and down like a quick elevator because you could be basing your worth on the wrong thing. Not only is it very temporary and very fragile, this kind of self-worth that most people settle for, but worst of all, it's ultimately groundless. It's like quicksand. 
It may look like it will support you and give you security and significance for some time, but sometime it's going to fail, and you're going to find yourself, even though one moment, tremendous sense of self-worth. Someday, all the air goes out of that, and you realize how empty and hollow it really is. What are the ways that most people try to base or find their self-worth? You may suggest some others, but I'd like to give you four quick ones. First is beauty. Significance and security based on beauty. Have you ever fallen trapped to that, thinking, you know what? If only I were as good-looking as so-and-so, then I'd really feel secure. I'd really feel significant. And so we'll knock ourselves out doing everything we can to work on our beauty, to try to gain a deep need, a need for security and significance. Or we'll go for the bucks, beauty or bucks. We figure, okay, if, uh, if I can't get it on the basis of my face, I'll get it on the basis of my finances. If I could just get a better job, if I could just earn more money, if they just would give me a bigger paycheck, then I'd really be significant. Then I'd really be set, really be secure. I could get all the things that I know would make everybody admire me and look up to me, and I would be set. Beauty, bucks, brains. That's the third one. People say, well, you know, I'm ugly and I'm poor, but I'm smart. <laughs> I'm going to work real hard. And even though I may not get valedictorian of the class, I'll say, well, I will, I'm going to be smart at something. I'm going to be the best at something. Anything to get attention, get a crowd, or get a laugh, or do something, but you're really good at because then I'm significant. Beauty, bucks, brains, and some of us who don't have any of those things will settle for brawn, muscle, power, athleticism. We'll make our name for ourselves that way. But you know what? Like I said earlier, beauty, bucks, brains, and brawn are all temporary, fragile, and groundless bases for our personal worth. Don't you know how quickly beauty can go? And I know some of you work so hard to get it, but it can go so fast. And this isn't a campaign for ugly. <laughs> but it's just to say this, don't base your worth on your beauty. Because you know what? Even if you are beautiful physically, even if you are, if you're basing your worth on it, you know what? there's someone more beautiful. There's always somebody more beautiful, always somebody richer with more things, always somebody smarter, and always somebody that throws a curve off for you, and always somebody that's stronger and can beat you out. And you won't be content until you're number one, and you're basing your worth on a very fragile ground. Let's get to the real meat and the most important things that we could possibly share. In these moments that are left, consider this. Only Jesus Christ provides genuine personal worth. Only Jesus Christ provides genuine personal worth. Because it is in him that we have real security. It's real. 
in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And I want you to make note of these passages and take the time to read them on your own, not just quickly, but taking a good amount of time in the days ahead to reflect on these verses. For instance, in Romans chapter 5, Romans 5, in verses 5 through 11, it says this. And please listen to this like you've never heard it before. Listen to it in the context of all of these other things that people base their worth on that are so fragile and phony and counterfeit and superficial. In Romans 5, starting in verse 5, it says this, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were helpless, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see, because of my fallenness, because of my sinfulness, my deep need for love and acceptance and security that I can only find in God, that kind of relationship was broken by sin. And I've fallen, and I can't get up. So God said, I'll come down. And God sent his son to come down to this earth to die on that cross in full payment for my sin and to rescue me and reconcile me to himself. And I'm reconciled to God through Jesus Christ if I have put my personal trust in him so that in him I do have real security. This love and this security is amplified a little bit more in Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 35, it says this, Romans 8, 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Can anybody love you more than that? And I'm being brutally honest when I say this right now. Sometimes we say, well, God, I know you love me, but I desperately need this person to love me. And what I want to say is, you're slapping God in the face when you say that. I would never minimize the fact that it, it hurts when people that we want to have love us don't love us. It hurts. When a child grows up questioning whether his mom or his dad love him, when a husband or wife go through times and seasons when it feels like their mate is rejecting them, it hurts. It grieves us and it grieves God. But may I say, it does not change 
for one second. When you realize that God, who is perfect, who is awesome, God, who made everything, who has every right to judge you and hate you and condemn you, when you realize that God has chosen to love you unconditionally with a love that never ends, God wants us to live with a convinced awareness of that. It's only living with a convinced awareness of His love that can get us through the rejections that every one of us are going to face as human beings living in a fallen world. We need to realize everyone's going to let us down and we're going to let everybody else down. But there's someone who loves us with such an immeasurable love and I can only find true fulfillment and true security in His love. Only Jesus Christ provides real security. That's why Paul prayed what he prayed for believers. The prayer that's recorded in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, look at this, being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I could go to many other passages of Scripture, and you could look them up as well, other passages that speak about God's infinite, incredible love that he has for you. It's the kind of love that I think meets this description. This is a definition of security that I heard given in the counselor training a number of years ago by Dr. Larry Crabb. He said this, security is having a convinced awareness of being unconditionally and totally loved without needing to change in order to win love. Loved by a love which is freely given, which cannot be earned, and therefore cannot be lost. If you walk slowly through that definition, view it in light of the scriptures that we've read and many other scriptures, you realize that there's no human being that can love you this way perfectly. But only Jesus Christ does. And I can be secure if I base my security in Christ. Every other human being in this world is a fallen, finite human being just like me. And though I may be living in a world where people demand that I change before they'll love me, when I truly come to Jesus Christ and put my trust in Him for my everyday life, I discover that now I want to do what would be pleasing to Him out of gratitude as opposed to desperately trying to do something to get Him to love me. I can be secure in His love. Not only is it true that only in Christ do I have real security, but it's also true that it's only in Him that we have real significance. Real significance. It's only in Jesus Christ. For instance, in Ephesians 2.10, where it says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God ordained before that we should walk in them. You know what that means? 
It means that it's already true that I am his workmanship. And instead of my trying to base my significance on my workmanship, I realize I have significance because I am his workmanship. And when I know who I am and what he has made me to be, then out of the fullness of what his grace has given to me, I now can work. And I want to do good. I want to do good workmanship. I want to do my best. I'm frustrated when I, when I fall short of doing my best, as, as you do too. But you know what? It's a sin if I base my worth on how well I do. If I base my worth on that, what I'm really saying is, Jesus Christ, your death on the cross was not worth it, was not worthy enough of a full payment to give me acceptance with you. And therefore, it is essential that I base my significance on him. In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, there's so much that God has given us to do, but we're not adequate for these things, but God has made us adequate. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, we are told that, that we have been reconciled to God and we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. We're told in the scriptures that we are gifted by God. Every person that comes to Christ is gifted by God for a unique role that God wants that person to play in life. We are his workmanship. We've been gifted. We are secure. We are significant already in Christ. And now we can minister out of the fullness of the significance and security we have rather than trying to desperately trying to manipulate things and manipulate people to get them to minister to us we find that it is in Jesus Christ that we have our worth and our fullness and our security. Try on this definition of real significance. Having a realization of personal adequacy for involvement in something which is truly important, where the results will not evaporate with time, but will last through eternity. Having a meaningful impact on others. This is what God wants us to have. To be involved in something truly important where results don't evaporate with time, but last through all eternity. And I don't need to be one notch higher on any organizational scale, on anybody's chart, in order to get more significance or security. I already have it in Jesus Christ if I'm putting my trust in him. So the most important thing of everything we could have shared so far and the thing that everything that I've shared leads up to is this. Turn to Christ fully for your personal worth. Turn to Christ fully for your personal worth. And you will not be guilty of the sin of misplaced dependency. There are a lot of sins that you and I may be guilty of but I believe that one of the worst is this, the sin of misplaced dependency. And you know what misplaced dependency is? It's just exactly this. Depending on anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ as the basis for my worth. Depending on anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ as the basis for my personal worth. It's a sin because it really is saying, 
God, you can't or don't meet my needs. I have to have this from other people. Now, there's a biblical balance we need to keep in mind here. This does not mean I don't need you or you don't need me. God placed us in the body and we're all valuable, we're all important, and we need one another. But not in the sense that I demand that my worth is dependent on your evaluation. My worth is dependent on Jesus Christ. Am I looking to him, trusting him and him only for my worth? That's what I need to do. It is essential that I look to him and him alone. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this chance to share these concepts. And as though we've just started into the series, I thank you that enough was shared this morning, I pray, that anyone who realizes that they've been looking to the wrong source, I pray that they will turn right now to you and trust in you and you alone for their salvation, for their standing before you, for their security, and for their significance. Lord, forgive us for becoming so overly dependent on the other fallen, finite human beings in our life. And though they have let us down, and we have let them down, Lord, thank you that you have used the pain of that disappointment to show us that trusting fully anyone besides you is displaced and misplaced dependency. So, Lord, I just want to reaffirm for myself, and I pray that many who are listening right now will be reaffirming in their own heart, too, that, Lord, I look to you. I thank you for affirming supportive people you've put in my life. But I realize that the most supportive wife and the most supportive friends in the world can never meet my needs for significance. And the most loving and supportive husband in the world can never meet a wife's need for security. But Lord, we bow before you, invite you, and thank you that you are our source of security and significance, of love and acceptance. Forgive us for searching for popularity and power when we can have security and significance in you. And I pray if anyone has never opened the door of their heart to you and just accepted your payment for them on the cross, may they even in this moment say, Lord Jesus, I trust you for my salvation. Come into my life. Lead me, guide me. May I not turn to the broken cisterns of this world but turn to you, the fountain of living water. Thank you for coming into my life. May we who do know you already grow in our awareness of who you are and who we are in Christ, that we might minister with all of our heart to the needs of security and significance in our family members and those around us, knowing we can never meet their need, but may we give them such a taste of your love and grace that they will want to know you and grow in you too. But we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this first message in the How to Be Happy Though Human series, where we focused on our longings as personal beings. We pray that God will use these truths in your life in an ongoing way. In 2004, after almost 40 years in full-time ministry, I stepped down from my role as senior pastor of Gwinnett Community Church. You may be wondering why Peggy and I chose to step down from a 20-year pastorate of a congregation we love. The answer is for us to step up to the call of God to form teammates in ministry, a unique ministry of hospitality and encouragement that God placed on our hearts. Our twofold mission is this, to lavish the love of God on the servants of God so they can be refreshed to better fulfill the call of God on their lives and to encourage others in ministry, marriage, and life. We hope we have done just that for you. You can learn more about Teammates in Ministry at our website, teammatesinministry.org. Thank you again for listening.